You're listening to episode 89 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and yes, 2020 baseball is still very weird, but as it turns out, Adam Wainwright is still very good. Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the show again this week. It has been another week of weird and at times wonderful baseball as far as the St. Louis Cardinals are concerned. As you heard in the intro, as you already know, likely, I'm Tara and I am generally joined by Alex, both of Birds on the Black for this podcast, but there's a lot of other great content you can get from the Birds on the Black podcast, as well as the rest of the guys over at birdsontheblack.com. Today, though, I am flying solo as Alex is out and I failed to secure a co-host for this show. But don't worry, I recruited some of your help and I have some comments and some questions and some ideas from you that you sent me on Twitter. And we're going to go through those after we dive into this week of Cardinals baseball a little bit. So plenty of things to talk about. And look, it's 2020 baseball and that means there's always something crazy that happened that we probably can talk about and and share a little bit of our own reactions to. Now, for me tonight, that means sort of talking to myself. So we'll see how this goes. But we appreciate you checking out another week of the podcast. If you're new to the show and you have not subscribed, go ahead and do that. And you will, as I said, get a lot of content from Alex and I on Chirps every Wednesday. But there is other content that comes out every week as well from Kyle, from Zach, from myself, and who knows what else might go up on the Birds on the Black podcast uh, over time. So make sure you're checking that out as well as the work that is written content over at the website. Now, the St. Louis Cardinals this week. Well, look, it was a mixed bag as it has been for the entirety of the 2020 season, which feels like it started a week ago, but also it's almost over. And that is part of the weirdness of this summer and going into the fall already. Happy September, everyone, if you can believe that. We've made it that far. And let's just take a step back for a moment and say congrats on making it that far because this has been a rough one for a lot of us. And hey, Baseball's a great distraction sometimes, but I also just want to say in real life, like, I hope you're doing all right. And I hope that you are finding ways to stay sane and stay safe and work your way through this very, very strange and sometimes very complicated and frustrating and overwhelming and just sad year. But not everything about baseball this week was sad. Let's talk a little bit about what happened with the Cardinals this week. If you were not paying attention or if you were actually working like some people are, I actually went back to work this week. So that was a, a pretty interesting experience. But the Cardinals played some good baseball, some really terrible baseball. And last week, they were closing out that series with the Kansas City Royals. They managed to avoid a sweep in one of the strangest ways possible, that bottom of the ninth inning against the Royals, where there was, you know, a hit batter and a balk and a walk-off walk and all the weird things that kind of seemed to encapsulate what this season has been for the Cardinals thus far. And look, you'll take them any way you get them. 
but it'd be nice to to win more of those games by way of earning them, <laughs> not so much by way of having them handed to you, which is essentially what we saw from the Kansas City Royals. I know Alex and I meant to talk about it last week and didn't really get to it. There were too many other things to discuss. But how weird was it to see Mike Matheny managing another team in the visitors dugout at Bush Stadium? And to see a lot of the same tendencies that were so frustrating when he was in St. Louis. Look, I like Mike Matheny as a person. I have high hopes for him to learn as he goes along in his managerial career. But there were some weird things that happened in that series. And I know I tweeted it at the end of that game on Wednesday night. And I felt a little bad doing it. But I kind of just said, thanks, Matheny, for that. Because that felt like a classic Mike Matheny team loss for the Royals. And, uh, you know, the Cardinals at that point were on the positive side of some of those weird decisions. So yeah, weird to see that. Wish him all the best, as I do to Trevor Rosenthal, who's now playing for one of the most exciting teams in baseball as he got traded to the Padres this week. The Trevor Rosenthal experiment is always a little interesting, but that's a great place to be playing baseball, just in general, because of the weather. And I mean, who doesn't like to be in San Diego, right? But because that team's really exciting, and it should be fun for him to be a part of that as well. But the Cardinals managed to avoid the sweep on Wednesday against the Royals, and then they lost both games of the doubleheader on Thursday to the Pirates in one of the most frustrating days, probably, of Cardinals baseball so far. And I don't know about you, but I feel like To me, there are going to be moments in this next stretch of games, maybe that was one of the hopefully few that felt that desperate, where this team's just going to look tired and they're going to look like they just don't have anything left to give. And a large part of that is just because of the nature of their schedule and how much pressure there is on all the games they're playing in not very many days and doing it under such strange circumstances as, you know, playing in a global pandemic and not being able to do the normal things that you would do before or after games and outside of work to kind of take your mind off of the bad night before or whatever it is. So Thursday was weird with dropping both games of the double double header. Then they went uh, to or played Cleveland and got absolutely clobbered in the first game of that series, lost 14 to two. And then yes, they dropped the Saturday game as well, but I don't really care about that at this point. Cause I just want to talk about Adam Wainwright. <laughs> I just want to talk about the incredible legend that is Adam Wainwright who put the team on his back and quite literally called his shot by sending Mike Schultz a text message after Saturday's game, basically saying like, don't worry, I got this. And then following through by pitching a complete game, picking up the win for the Cardinals and setting things back on track, really. He was talking post-game about a text message he sent to the group, uh, the team, the the players. He ta- he's talked a lot about that this season. I don't know if this like team group text thing is new this year or if he just is talking about it for the first time. But he talked about a text message that he sent to the team that he basically was just like, I know you're tired stick with me, give it all you've got, don't quit. And I don't know about any of them, but I felt ready to run through a wall when he was talking about that on the post game. And they've looked like they were re-energized a little bit after that game. That's the kind of effect that that sort of pitching performance can have, regardless of who it is. But man, when it's Adam Wainwright and everyone you talk to about him, everyone who talks of him, says such glowing things about how he's impacted their professional life, their personal life, and just what a great teammate he is. You know they had to be really stoked to pick up that win for Adam Wainwright, and they've looked a lot better since then. 
I hesitate to talk too much about momentum with this team because for the last, I don't know, handful of years, it feels like there's that one really key win where you go, wow, maybe that's what's going to turn the tide this season. And we're going to look back on that game and go, you know what? That was it. That was the one that changed the tune. That was the one that set somebody on fire. That was the one that gave them that extra little spark and, and showed them, hey, we can do this. And then they'll go and lose like four in a row. So I hesitate to talk too much about momentum in light of one game turning the tide of a season. But that really was the big stopper moment that then could, I could see a scenario where it would carry them through at least another little stretch, maybe until they get that off day, which is coming up, which I'm sure they will be very, very ready for. But huge win, huge statement from Adam Wainwright. And before I move on to what's happened with the rest of the team since then, I just want to pause. And I know we've done it on this show before. And I know I do it often because Adam Wainwright's my guy. Him and, and Colton Wong are kind of the, the the dynamic duo for me as far as guys that I just absolutely love in this system. And Adam Wainwright's kind of the OG for me because when I really got invested in baseball kind of on a daily basis was in high school and Adam Wainwright was the guy that that came in and stole the show in the World Series picking up the final out the emotion the curveball all those things captivated my interest in baseball more than anything else had to that point and then to see what kind of person he is and how as I said everyone speaks of him in such glowing terms Adam Wainwright is the guy that I feel genuinely lucky to have been a baseball fan of a team that employed him during the Adam Wainwright era in baseball. And I will always wish that he had picked up more individual accolades, whether it's Cy Young's or, you know, that he'd been part of that 2011 season and that he didn't have the Achilles injury and all of those things. It kind of is a career that looks a little bit like, man, what could have been? And yet it's still one of the most storied careers as far as the Cardinals are concerned. And he might not be a, a baseball Hall of Famer, but he is absolutely a Cardinals Hall of Famer and the kind of legend that he's going to stick around in baseball in some form, I'm sure, after he's done playing. And we'll come back to that in a moment. There's a question that uh, from someone on Twitter later that will tie into this whole conversation in a bit. But Man, I'm just I'm grateful to have someone like Adam Wainwright as a representation of the St. Louis Cardinals and of kind of the the baseball world and stepping in and and being the kind of person that you would hope to be able to root for as well. Plus, uh, when he pitches well, man, is he fun to watch and picking up nine strikeouts on his way to a complete game shutout, not shutout. Sorry, I keep saying that and it's not it just rolls off the tongue complete game. He did give up a two-run homer early in the night and then shut it down from there. I believe he sat down the last 11 batters of the game consecutively. Looked like vintage Adam Wainwright. And after the game, through tears, he basically told Danny Mack, man, I just haven't been good in a while. And it felt really good to be back. And I think we can all agree with that. So Adam Wainwright kind of set the tone salvaging uh, one game of that series with Cleveland. And then it was off to Cincinnati. And I think I've spoken of this before. I don't know where this sort of personal grudge against the Cincinnati Reds came from, but I 
I just really enjoy beating the Cincinnati Reds. I don't know that I would say more than beating the Cubs because that's the real rivalry, but man, does it feel good to uh, to go into Great American Ballpark and pick up some pretty dominant wins. Obviously, Paul DeYoung hitting a grand slam in the opener on Monday was a lot of fun. And then I'm recording this upon completion of maybe the longest game of all time. <laughs> and that is the Cardinals uh, beating the Reds again in dramatic fashion after chasing Sonny Gray before he finished the first inning putting up a six spot there and chasing him and then tacking on an additional 10 runs <laughs> as the night went along, winning 16-2 to in Cincinnati to uh, secure the series win. They'll try to finish that out tomorrow as well. But man, watching this team put up a bunch of runs like that, now, you don't ever anticipate putting up a six spot in the first inning of a Sunny Gray start, but to get that start for Colton Wong to, uh, at one point, he was he was four for four in the game before he got hit by a pitch, and then they took him out, first of all, hoping he's okay. That looked like a pretty nasty hit on, on his toe, uh, which we've seen before. Some guys end up with a, a broken toe or a broken bone in the foot that has them out for a while. So fingers crossed for Colton Wong. By the time you are listening to this show, I'm sure we'll know more about his condition and what's going on there. So hopefully um, we get to get to continue to see Colton Wong play because he's looked a lot better in the last week as well. The same thing could be said for a lot of guys in that mix. Dexter Fowler has continued to look really strong, um, but perhaps no one has looked stronger than Brad Miller, who had another two home run nights, <laughs> drove in seven on the day. I believe he was a triple shy of the cycle, and the legend of Brad Miller continues to grow. Coming into the night, before his four hit two homer seven RBI night, he had a 153 WRC plus on the season, which you would imagine will not stay there. But also, you know, when he's playing maybe not every single day, although in the last week or so, he's pretty much played every day because he's hitting the ball all over the place. So you got to keep that in the lineup. But what a pickup that has turned out to be. And it's interesting. I think we talked a little bit about this last week in the sense of he's a guy that over the offseason, they made that move and we were kind of like, huh, that's uh, that's it. <laughs> and as it turns out, he's been kind of the spark to a lot of the big offensive rallies for this team. Now, they haven't necessarily won all of the games where he's performed really well, which had to be frustrating. So they finally got a win on a Brad Miller have a day kind of game. And I hope that that doesn't, you know, send his his momentum crashing to the ground because he's like, oh, well, you're, I'm not used to you winning when uh, <laughs> I'm not used to everyone else playing along when I play well. So good on Brad Miller. It's been a lot of fun to watch him. It's so funny to me because he's a guy that I just, it's, it's wildly entertaining to see him be the guy that has become the impossible out to get in the Cardinals lineup, not necessarily as a knock against Brad Miller. It's not like, you know, I don't think he's capable of that. It's just funny to me because he's not the guy that, that was supposed to be the, the linchpin to the offense. And let's just be clear, he's made some very, very tragic plays on defense. Uh, that hot corner has not looked so hot with Brad Miller manning it at times, but that bat in the lineup... It's a pretty nice addition. I mean, Dexter Fowler's 129 WRC Plus currently is, uh, again, going into the night on Tuesday. Those stats didn't update quickly enough for me to include that change uh, in the show. But 
129 WRC plus going into Tuesday night's game. That currently is the highest of his career. Again, those numbers will change. And what you make of those kinds of stats in a 60 game season compared to a full 162 games, I don't know. That's up to you. I'm not going to tell you how to do that. But it's impressive nonetheless to see him playing as well as we have seen him in St. Louis. And no time like the present as the Cardinals are still trying to figure out the consistency piece of their offensive puzzle. I did also want to shout out Giovanni Gallegos, who came back into the mix, of course, after the extended time off getting to the season, not being part of summer camp and then working him back in. Uh, He's got eight innings pitched with no walks and a strikeout rate over 41% right now, Uh, 0.81 whip, I believe. And he has pitched in some really big moments, and that's not unexpected. I think that's kind of the role we were looking at for Gallegos. But to see him come in the second year after making a splash in 2019 and still look like that guy, that's pretty That's pretty great. And it's something definitely that this team needs. They're going to need that guy that can either lock it down in the ninth or can come in you know, with the bases loaded and pick up a, a four-out save or even just a four-out appearance if it's not necessarily in uh, the closer role. So Gallegos has looked good. That's been really great to see as well. One negative of this week would be Daniel Ponce de Leon got knocked around significantly in his uh, start this week and is now in Springfield. He will not be the fifth man in the rotation. It looks like that will be um, Oviedo at this point, who has really earned that opportunity. And then when you bring Carlos Martinez back into the mix, we'll see what happens there. But they do still have a number of doubleheaders on the schedule, and it's going to do them good to have some of that the pitching available that can go more than one or two innings. So all of that will be worked back into the mix. I'm sure Pons will be back at some point, just not necessarily in that starting rotation, which is kind of frustrating. I mean, he's he looked so good in the spring. He did the same thing kind of last year. And just, I don't know, it feels like one mistake or one problem or one missed play or one bad call tends to turn into a bit of an avalanche for him. And that's unfortunate because his stuff is so good and he has that really high strikeout potential. But just, you know, if if you get out of whack, he doesn't seem to reel it back in terribly quickly. So hopefully there's a a way to use his skill set that maybe just isn't in that fifth starter role. But right now, Jack Flaherty looking better, easing him back into that higher pitch count. Adam Wainwright is the man (laughs) at this point. Uh, Dakota Hudson has actually looked pretty solid in his last couple of starts as well. And then overshadowed by the 16 runs that the Cardinals put up against the Reds on Tuesday night was KK and his great night as well. Five innings of shutout ball. And he just is quietly consistent. And it's great to see. So he's not necessarily going to be the one that's dominating the headlines, but they don't really need that. They just need someone who can be consistent every fifth day. And look, I was I was totally cool with him being in that closer spot to start the season because it was really interesting to me to see if that was going to work. And of course, I've made it quite clear how I feel about Carlos Martinez and everything that he brings to the table when he's healthy. And it appeared uh, that he was, as far as his arm was concerned, now the, the issue is coming back from the uh, experience he had with COVID-19. So when he's healthy, he has so much to offer in that role. But 
KK has really made his case. And I think he's been a huge piece of kind of steadying the the flow for the Cardinals in this really rocky season otherwise, just because of the number of games and, and back-to-backs and innings that they need somebody to eat up to reset their bullpen. So good on him for coming in and looking like the guy that they hoped he would be and doing so pretty quiet and steady and just doing his job, which is, (laughs) that's everything you really need for him to be. So the pitching puzzle still looks like there's plenty of promise. The offense still goes ice cold at times. And that's what was so frustrating at times this week, most notably in that doubleheader with with the Pirates. They just, you know, they'll put a bunch of runners on base, can't drive them in. (laughs) It's the same situational hitting problems that we saw last year. And I don't know if that's still a Jeff Albert thing. I don't know if it's guys were just tired at that point. I don't know if it's a thing you can fix or if it's just a talent issue. And we'll talk about that in a minute here as well because of another Twitter question. But that still seems to be the the key to how good the Cardinals can actually be. There's going to be some bumps with the pitching because it, bullpen's going to bullpen, right, at some point. And especially when they're eating up as many innings on top of each other as they are with the Cardinals schedule right now, that's just how it's going to go sometimes. You're going to have some explosions. Tyler Webb's going to sometimes not be good and you're going to go, that's what I really expected of him. What's surprising to me somehow is how he is so good so often. <laughs> uh, that Sorry, Tyler Webb, not a knock, just uh, the reality of my, my reaction sometimes. But that's part of bullpens doing their thing. It's the offense that can sometimes cover for that and salvage what might be a mess of an inning for a, a bullpen guy. And, well, if they're going to put up 16 runs every couple of days, that'd be nice. But what are they going to do tomorrow? What are they going to do the day after that? Because you don't get rollover runs as many times as I have asked for it. That might just be one change I could get behind for MLB. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't don't freak out at me. I do like the seven inning doubleheaders, but I don't want I don't want rollover runs to actually be a thing mostly. Okay, that is enough about the recap of the Cardinals this week. Again, I just want to shout out Adam Wainwright for being the incredible human that he is, and I'm so glad we get to watch him for another year. Let's talk about some of the things that you all wanted to talk about. Let's pull up the questions that you asked me on the internet when I told you I needed a a, a little bit of an assist in this game tonight. So, question number one. Do you think the Cardinals are standing pat because they sincerely think they're good enough or for budget or because they're not taking the shortened season seriously or for other reasons? And if so, what are they? That's a lot of options. That might be too many options for me. I like one or two choices just to keep it simple. Uh, No, I'm kidding. You know, I think there are, it's not just one answer to that. I think budget is always a conversation for the Cardinals. And I don't know, it's budget necessarily as much as it is not wanting to overspend unnecessarily. I think they're taking this season seriously, but they're also aware of kind of the constraints of their particular situation in comparison to other teams where they didn't really get a chance to see what their team even really looked like with all the pieces in place before the trade deadline arrived. And I think there's also something to the the caution with which John Mozeliak tends to make moves at the deadline and how exaggerated that is in a season like this where you know if you make a move for the sake of a month of baseball and then you're out whatever it is you gave up to get that 
I don't know if the Cardinals are that one piece away at this point from being dramatically different enough to warrant making major changes for one month of baseball. I don't know that they're one move away in light of that. Plus, to make enough of a move to really move the needle, they're going to have to give up some major league talent. And at this point, we'll talk about this again in a moment because there's another question about the outfielders. Who do you give up and who do you hold on to? That seems to be one of the biggest holdups for John Mozeliak is desperately trying to make sure he holds on to the right guy. And look, let's be honest, he hasn't always held on to the right guy. There are some guys in major league lineups today that would have potentially been a better fit in St. Louis than the guys that are out there. That's always the risk that you take. So to answer the question, I don't know that it's because they think they're good enough except that I think they do think they're good enough to make it to the playoffs and then see what happens. Roll the dice at that point. I think the the money side of things is always a part of the conversation, but not necessarily why they didn't make a move this year. And I do think they're taking the season seriously, but I think that they're aware, like I said, of the the weirdness of it all. And maybe they're not willing to make a giant move for the sake of a season that's so much of a toss-up anyway. So it's not because they aren't taking it seriously and, and wanting to try to win as many games as they can, as much as it is just recognizing that this may be not the time to try to really go all in on something that's only going to last about a month. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but moving on. Okay, where do you think Matthew Libertor could be down the line? Like, what do you think his potential can be? This is a really interesting question to me because everyone that I've read who has written about Matthew Libertor and what we've heard from Kyle Reese at Birds on the Black is that this is a kid who has a ton of potential. And it's not as raw as you might expect from someone with as little experience as he has. What I mean by that is he's polished enough that there are a lot of you know, scouts and, and people within the Cardinals organization that talk about him as a front end of the rotation type guy, whether that's the ace of the staff in a couple of years, or if it's a really solid two or three, I'm not really sure. But what's hard for me as far as making my own analysis is this season in the fact that we don't get to see him at all. We don't get to see him pitch. We don't get to see him face, you know, hitters at his own level. We don't get to see regular updates about how he's performing. The Springfield camp is just kind of doing spring training all the time. <laughs> and there's only so much you can take away from that in actual spring training, much less, you know, when you're not getting regular updates from that. So I think the standard potential a uh, readout on Libertor is a top end of the rotation kind of arm. But what that actually means for me personally and what I like and don't like about Matthew Libertor, I can't really tell you because I haven't seen enough of him to know one way or the other. How's that for a non-answer? <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Wayno and Yachty together again next season as Cardinals? All right, I told you we'd get back to this. I think Adam Wainwright has made it very clear that he wants to be a Cardinal exclusively. Uh, however long he plays, that's where he wants to be. I think Yadier Molina has said that and has since left us all wondering how much he really meant that because he has, again, 
changed his plans about whether or not he would retire after this year. And now he wants two more years in the game, if not three more years. He keeps kind of changing that target. And look, the reality is he is an aging catcher who wants to play every day and at this point is still kind of calling his own shots. We've seen that a lot since he came off that COVID uh, that COVID IL where Andrew Kisner just completely disappeared in spite of uh, Matt Weeders not being um, on the active roster either. So yeah, he's kind of calling his own shots. And if the Cardinals don't give him the contract that he wants, that will allow him to kind of continue to call his own shots, I can definitely see him saying, okay, this has been great, but you don't respect me enough to let me make the decisions here. So I'm going to go somewhere else. And he and Adam Wainwright both alluded to the fact after that complete game, which also happened to be Yadier Molina's 2000th game, congratulations to him on that, um, they both sort of alluded to this idea that they want to be playing together next year, wherever that is, whoever will give them that opportunity. Now, I don't know exactly how that works in baseball. I don't know if you can work into a contract that you're a package deal with an aging catcher or an aging pitcher. There's a lot of risk associated with that. And don't get me wrong, if Adam Wainwright says he's good to go, I'm going to want to watch Adam Wainwright as long as he thinks he's good to go. Same for Yadier Molina. But as far as what that means in St. Louis, it's such a weird thing because for so many years we've been saying they have to find a way to make Yadi take a step back and let someone else catch some of those innings, let someone else play some of those games. I don't know if they can. <laughs> I don't know if they can actually make him do that. And if they try, maybe he just decides to go somewhere else. And I don't know what you do with the, the whole package deal thing. So my personal preference, I would love to see Wayno and Yachty together again next season as Cardinals. I think they're both playing well enough that there's, a, there's reason to want them to be part of that mix. And their veteran presence plays a really active role in kind of the dynamic of the clubhouse. I mean, like I said, Adam Wainwright sent that text message that was like, hey guys, don't quit on me. Let's just go out there and do this. I know we're all tired. And then they played with more pep in their step than they had in, you know, a week and a half. So there's something to what they bring to the table that's not just about their athletic ability, but you have to consider that ability as well in comparison to the guys that are getting blocked by their continued presence in in the mix there. So that's a really hard conversation for me to separate kind of my you know, emotional fan reaction to wanting Wayno and Yachty together forever in St. Louis and maybe the more logical baseball business mindedness of what they're actually going to want to stay and if that makes sense in St. Louis. So again, that's not a great answer except to say, I hope so. And I think the Cardinals uh, should listen to me on all the things. So there you go. <laughs> um, all right, let's see. I'm curious, at what point does the complacency of the front office become not only a concern, but a detriment to the team? I understand John Mazalek's hesitance in doing what it takes to get a superstar, but I still believe we need someone to fill that void that Albert left. Yes, I think that Paul Goldschmidt was a good step in that direction. Paul Goldschmidt was the very Cardinals-esque version of going out and getting a superstar. I think that if you're expecting or waiting for this team to go out and bring in, uh, again, the Bryce Harper or the Manny Machado or even the Tatis Jr. or whatever, I don't know that they're the team that's ever really going to do that. See, the thing with Albert Pujols is they had him from day one. He was a guy that 
really got overlooked in the draft. They got him in the 13th round and then raised that talent themselves. They didn't have to go out and get it and bring it into St. Louis. And when they had the choice to go out and keep him in St. Louis, they didn't. They let him walk. So this idea of replacing Albert Pujols, I think we have to be realistic in realizing how they got Albert Pujols. And it wasn't in a trade. It wasn't in a free agent deal. It was in kind of getting lucky in the guy slipping in the draft and then developing into the one of the greatest players of our generation, if not all of the, of, of all time in baseball. That's a really hard thing to replace, for one, and it's way harder to do it when you're trying to, to do it from within your organization, when you're generally not drafting in those super high spots every year. So that I understand the concern, and I have argued in favor of the Cardinals being in a position to go out and bring in a big name and what that would do to morale as well as what it would do to the actual lineup and their consistency offensively. But look, Albert Pujols type guys don't come around all the time and they're really hard to secure in a place like St. Louis compared to maybe the coast or compared to, you know, a place where the the money isn't an object in the sense of you can go out and bring in two or three superstars instead of trying to get away with just one. So that's why Paul Goldschmidt really fit this system. I think what we're seeing from him this season is really exciting but I don't know what they're going to do once Paul Goldschmidt is not that guy, once he is the aging veteran that isn't necessarily going to carry them on their backs. I don't know if it becomes Dylan Carlson. I don't know if Paul DeYoung and, uh, you know, some mix of these other young guys become enough of a threat that you don't feel like you need that giant superstar. But the way that the Cardinals have had superstars in the past has not generally be by has not generally been by going out and getting them from somewhere else. It's from developing them from within. And that's kind of their model. And it's worked really well at times in the past, but it's not something as consistent as if you're the Dodgers and you just decide, I want that. And you go out and get all five of those things that you want, or the Yankees or Boston or whomever it is. It's just a different method and I think I agree with you in the sense that it has been a bit of a detriment to the team in comparison to other teams in baseball, the teams that are the the perennial World Series favorites, not just perennial postseason contenders, which seems to be where the Cardinals have been content to live. And that's what I think appears most frustrating to the fan base is that it doesn't look like they're trying to go out and match you know, player for player with some of those other teams. I don't know that there's a solution to that because I don't really expect it to change. But I do understand the frustration when you look at what other teams are doing and what the Cardinals have kind of refused to do, hoping that they can create it from within. All right, a couple more. How do we find enough playing time to find out if Bader, O'Neill, or Thomas can play at this level, all while playing Dylan Carlson and Dexter Fowler? Ugh. This is the ongoing debate, right? Because there were, just a couple seasons ago, like three or four other guys in that mix that you were trying to decide who was going to be the, the major league caliber players and who could be traded off or released or whatever it is and, and not really missed that much as far as the, the impact on the team going forward. Um, I think 
what we've seen is that Harrison Bader is super streaky. Tyler O'Neill is super streaky. Lane Thomas needs to stay healthy long enough to stay on the field and see what he can do. He did finally get a start on Tuesday night. Uh, didn't you know have a whole lot going on for him specifically, although anything was probably overshadowed by the, the Brad Miller game. So the the trick is, yes, Dexter Fowler is playing really well right now, and he's the veteran in that mix, so he's going to play. Dylan Carlson is the superstar in the making, and they're going to want him to play and not sit on the bench. Then what do you do with those other three guys? At some point, you're going to have to move on from from one of them, if not two of them, just so that you're not sacrificing the the consistent playing time for someone else. But I would also say this, the, the look, Marcelo Zuna had a three home run night on Tuesday, and that's kind of the offensive production that the Cardinals, you know, let, let walk after last year. Not that he did that on a regular basis in St. Louis, but the, the potential it was for him to do that. Trying to figure out if Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, or Lane Thomas is going to be a superstar might be an unfair expectation. I've said this about Harrison Bader before. I think the overnight sensation after his initial introduction at the major league level created an unfair expectation for him. And the fact that there was this weird sense of Harrison Bader becoming the face of the Cardinals also added an unfair expectation. I think expecting those guys to be the offensive powerhouse that drives this team forward is just not fair. So Maybe we need to just reel in our expectations and recognize that, look, those guys can play at the major league level, but they may not be the ones leading the charge. They may be the ones at the back end of the lineup where you go, ooh, I don't know if we want all of our outfielders, uh, you know, six, seven, eight in the lineup at this point in their careers. But as I said, Dexter Fowler playing really well. I'm super glad to see that from him. Dylan Carlson's going to figure it out. He's just in that spot where he maybe didn't think it was going to be this hard. And I've said this about minor leaguers quite regularly, and I think it applies to him still as well, even though he's now at the major league level. A lot of times the the stars that go into the minor leagues having been the star their whole life are suddenly in a situation where they might not be the best guy on the team anymore. And some guys get rocked a little bit by that and have to adjust not only what they're doing physically and learning how to compete at a different level, but also where they are mentally and not letting it get to them that someone else on the field is actually better than them, maybe for the first time in their life. So Dylan Carlson's going to figure it out, but he does need that consistent playing time to do so. And then it's just on Mike Schilt, really, to work those other guys in in a way that gives them consistent at-bats that allows them to kind of find their place and and find their role with this team. Hopefully that makes sense. Okay, the last question that I want to get to tonight is from Elise Butler, and it's my favorite thing ever because she asked me, if the Cardinals got a team dog, what do you think they should name it? And first of all, whatever we decide to name this dog collectively, I just think that the Cardinals, like the Blues, need a dog. And that is how we're going to wrap up this show, is talking about the Cardinals getting a team dog. Um, there are so many things that you could name this dog, right? There are so many legends. Uh, Tom Ackerman chimed in and said that he, you should name this dog Brock. Uh, you could obviously name him Stan. You could name him Red. You could name him Lou. You could name him so many things 
so many things that this dog could be named. And uh, who's to say it would be a, a boy dog? Maybe you would have a, a sweet little angel baby girl dog who would need a St. Louis uh, related name as well. Um, I think that you could name a dog after the wizard and that would be great. I think that you could uh, find something that's more just St. Louis related, like like Archie would be kind of cute. Or um, I, I don't know, I'm just trying to associate the toasted ravioli thing and then I just got hungry, so that didn't really help. Um, okay, so my question to you in an answer to Elise's question is I tend to take forever to come up with names for things. My dog's name is Stanley St. Louis. We call him Louis. And uh, yes, it is entirely about Stan the Man and uh, St. Louis. So I love coming up with names that are associated <laughs> with the things that I love. So um, I'm, I, I, I really like Archie, um, but I want to know what you think the Cardinals should name their team dog that they're obviously going to get when they listen to this podcast and realize, oh, that's what we need to improve morale over the course of this very strange season and keep guys' spirits up and, you know, just make everyone a little happier when they come to work and see a dog running through the hallways. That's everyone. Everyone needs an office puppy. That is my very strong personal belief. And I will say that for forever, <laughs> that every office needs a puppy, including a baseball office. So I'm going to go with Archie. But I want to know what you think. And thank you, Elise, for giving me this delightful thing to think about as we wrap up the podcast today. So that was me talking to myself for the last half hour or so, I guess 40, 42 minutes, whatever we're working on right now. I hope that you uh, didn't miss Alex too much to the point where you just tuned out before I got to the questions, because that was obviously the most interesting part. But Alex should be back next week. In fact, he will be back and I will not be. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I actually went back to work this week and um, we'll see how long that lasts, like everything else, sort of up in the uh, up in the air at this point, as we are still trying to deal with all the COVID-19 protocols and things in place there. But I will be out because of work next week, so Alex will be manning the controls, and he will be back to talk about whatever else happens this week with the St. Louis Cardinals as they continue to wander through this very weird and very wild season where anything goes, like an Adam Wainwright complete game and 16 runs in a sunny gray start, because those are the things that you... <laughs> Those are the things that you totally expect in a very unexpected and very unpredictable season, as it were. So thank you for your questions and for your participation online. The Cardinals will wrap up the series with the Reds on Wednesday, and then it's back to Chicago for another five games in four days. At least it's one extra day this time, only one doubleheader. Uh, they will be the home team, I believe, in one of those games of the doubleheader to make up for the games not being played in St. Louis. And um, then it's a doubleheader with the Twins. And the Twins are the last team that the Cardinals played before they got shut down. And they did not look good against the Twins. So maybe they'll get a redo. Uh, but it, it is a doubleheader on that Tuesday as well. So lots and lots of baseball coming up. There is an off day, though. They're off on Thursday. They're off again on uh, next Wednesday, assuming rain doesn't knock out any of those games that they're supposed to be playing in that weekend as well. So... Alex, we'll have to talk to you about all of that next time. 
And I will hopefully be back the following week to see where we are at that point as we come very close to the end of this very strange regular season. So for Alex, I'm Tara. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you then.